Victorious OTB on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today, bet $100, and get $100 at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash WinBet. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. State restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to the Notorious OTB, brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. And as always, it's all good, baby, baby. Oh, it was all a dream. We used to read Blood Horse Magazine. I'm your host, Chase Sessoms, the Wolf of Oaklawn. Man, I, I'm pretty excited about this episode. I think it's going to be pretty cool. I think it's going to be beneficial for all you other degenerate horse players out there like me. Uh, join me today. I've got a gentleman who's a fourth generation horseman. He's a graduate of the University of Louisville Management Program. He is a current horse trainer who just notched his first grade stakes win in October at Keeneland. That's a big deal. In grade three, Sycamore with the Horse Spooky Channel. Currently got a string of horses running at Oakland Park and at the fairgrounds. Mr. Jason Barkley joining us today. Jason, welcome and thank you. Good, good. No, thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Happy to, you know, be a part of it and see what I can help uh you know, debunk some uh, common handicapping misconceptions. Oh, yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, this is going to shock um, probably none of my listeners, but uh, here's the deal. I've never trained a horse uh, before, it turns out. You know, I went on a trail ride one time, and uh, the horse rocked a piss, and it just, like, bounced back up, like, on my feet yeah. and on my legs. And I was like, this may might not be the career path might not be your thing. for yeah. me. They looked at me funny when I asked for like a, a jockey's tack so I could get my legs up higher after that. Yeah. Uh, but Jason's here. We're going to talk about kind of trainer, you know, trainer intentions, these trainer moves that they make, what they're doing, why they're doing it. And because, I mean, if you think back to being a horse player, you have these kind of very broad ideas of what certain things do, certain equipment changes do, what certain, you know, certain workout patterns do, things like that. But here's the deal. It's like, you learned that from your friend. Where did your friend learn it from? Probably maybe from a book. I don't trust my friends to like recite something back from a book to me. Like that's, we're going to clear some bullshit up here today. So Jason has been nice enough to, to, uh, to help us out with that. Uh, how's your, how's your Oakland meet going so far? Good. You know, we've, uh, I think we've run 10 now. We've, Got two wins and a third. Uh, some maidens that are going to, you know, expect them to move forward in the next start. Um, you know, the two wins came early, so kind of rocking and rolling there. We've claimed a couple, so we'll fire them back and, uh, you know, playing the game down here and just trying to be aggressive and be in spots where we can win. Are they back on the turf at fairgrounds yet? They're they're not even doing fair, turf for a while, are they? Yeah, so we, we ran uh, – Let's see, the day after Christmas, they ran two races on it, and then I think we've had two more. Uh, they rained off the turf the other day, but um, but we are taking turf entries again, so that definitely helps, um, you know, gets us going back in the right direction. Right, because I hear that, you know, with you doing a lot of racing in Kentucky, having turf tracks to run on whenever, you know, it hits the winter if you're not headed to Gulfstream, it, with Fairgrounds not running a lot of races on the turf, it kind of neutralizes some of your barn, I have to think. Yeah, it definitely uh, is something you have to, you know, figure a way to work around and uh, just kind of be patient and uh, 
you know, know that it'll come around to you eventually. And once it does, then you just be ready to go. So I have to say, I appreciate you being a Louisville guy and L's up and everything, because being an Arkansas basketball fan, I very much uh, hate Kentucky. So it, it's handy for me uh, that, that I, I think can... we I think we all do. It was very hard to win with a horse named Calipari um, as Oof. a Louisville grad. That one stung a little bit, but a win's a win. So we'll take them where we get them. I've the connections would have been mad at me because it would have been in the first five thousand dollar claim at Belterra. Forcing yeah. the horse named Calipari on me. Yeah. Uh, I cannot stand that man. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's been fun getting to know you. Me and you did what a show about two years ago with uh, America's Best Racing, but we've kept in contact yeah. since then. So uh, I was so excited for you whenever you got a uh, Spooky Channel home in the Sycamore, picking off a multiple Grade One winner to to do it. I mean, how how does that feel? Because I mean, that's like that's such a big step. Yeah, you know, I was pretty pumped up, and uh, even I actually watched. I watch a lot of my races by myself, and uh, I watched it kind of off by myself. And then, but when I had to go to the winner's circle, Scott Hazelton from TVG was in my path, and Scott and I have done a lot of interviews, and I gave him one of the, the hardest high fives I've given anybody. And even on the like after the after the race, they did a little recap, and like the first thing he says is like, "I pumped up Jason Barkey. Like I was." jacked and uh you know that was it was a cool experience and uh you know my dad was there for that one so that was exciting and um because he's been a you know major role in why i do this so to to do that with him and him be there and it was a, it was just a big day it was a lot of fun and you know you try to build off of every success you try to capitalize on and build off of to you know put, go to the next one yeah because i mean you you learned the game for your dad i mean winning Winning at Keeneland too, such such a big deal, such a big deal right. winning on that Keeneland turf. Um, yeah, man, it was. I was really pumped. I think I DM'd you to let you know how how happy I was. Yeah. But man, we're about to jump into some of these these uh, trainer questions, some clarifications. Jason's going to give to us, and uh, we're going to get to that right after this quick word from our sponsors. We will be right back with more Notorious OTB, brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. WinBet is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. WinBet is active in a bunch of states, and there's tons of ways to win, including live betting and same-game parlays. The NFL playoffs are here. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, get $100, limited to state availability. There's so much to choose from, and all you have to do is head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet so they know that we sent you. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. This will be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you're someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. At Underdog, the season never ends. Right now, you can play their fantasy football playoff best ball, the gauntlet, with a $1 million prize up for grabs. They also have a ton of daily games for NBA and NHL. Plus, when you use promo code SGPN at underdogfantasy.com, you get a 100% deposit match up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Welcome back to the Notorious OTV, brought to you by the Sport Gambling Podcast Network. Uh, I'm going to keep using those sound drops, Jason, until Biggie's mom tells me I have to stop. Until a letter. Fair like- enough. Yeah. No worries. He writes me a letter. That's how I'm doing it. So let's let's talk about jockeys. Um, 
I've often told people that uh, I will love every jockey at one point and I will hate every jockey at one point. But you have the unique, you know, perspective of actually knowing, you know, what the jockey was told, what they were possibly thinking at the time. And it's such like something that's so baffling to people from even just like why certain jockeys get mounts. So I guess the first question is going to be what what really goes into selecting your jockeys as to who gets what horse? That's a pretty loaded question. Um, but I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it starts with like your relationships that you have with them and that you built with them over the years. And then it's just the amount of trust. Um, and a lot of it, you know, when you handicapper on top of just being a trainer, mm-hmm. you can, you see, like you pay attention to the guys that are riding for third and fourth. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they ride through the wire. They, you know, they're not lazy they make good decisions and um you know you start to build you know a foundation with certain guys and then you kind of branch out from there you know then you know most of the time i've got my guys that i use i mean at oakland i pretty much only use elvin gonzalez mm-hmm. um and that relationship started because i'm really good friends with his agent and he brought him around the first year and we kind of like you know i picked some for him to ride and i think he's a really smooth rider uh i think he's very underrated here um I think he, you know, he puts him in a good spot. And if he's got the stock, he's going to, you know, he's got finish and he's always, always trying. And that's really all you can ask for. Um, you know, if, if you're at a place where you've got multiple jockeys, are you trying to pair what you think like a, a jockey strength is with a, what you think a horse's strength is? Sometimes. Uh, yeah. I mean, so if I have a good, if I have a horse that's a bad that like doesn't break very well i might put someone i think is a little stronger out of the gate um and then like turf i think that to me that applies more to turf than anything um because i think there's guys that just don't ride well on the turf but they might ride very well on the dirt um so you kind of have to cherry pick your spots there uh but i think you just you know i think when i first started training i overthought that some i tried to like Take, okay, this guy needs to ride this horse and this guy needs to ride that horse. And then it became, okay, well, these are the guys that I've had success with and they ride hard for me. And those are my right. guys and I want to stick with my guys. And then I'll sway from it, like if an owner has a request or whatever. Um, but for the most part, I just kind of have my core group and I stick with them as much as I can. I remember you told me one thing about like a year ago and it absolutely blew my mind because I never thought of this before. It was like a vibe thing. It was like you had a horse that was really high strung. So you liked having this one specific jock who had like a really calming effect on it. And I was like, I never even thought that that would even factor into it, you know? Right. And that's usually something you can, you like, you can kind of learn that by mistake. I mean, you, you see the, like the horse, how they are in the morning and then, you know, that rider gets on it one day and then they get along um, and it goes from there. And, and then I, you know, it's some riders or some horses seem to prefer like, maybe a more feminine rider. So if you, if you put a girl on it or a more feminine guy, uh, you know, it kind of, it can have the same effect. And, um, you know, you just kind of see how it goes and see what meshing. Um, some horses like, you know, certain things and some don't. So I, I think I would be a work. more feminine guy jock because I would probably scream like a girl uh, on top of a horse that was running full speed. Well, based on your one experience, I would probably agree. Yeah. I'm not cut out for that at all. Uh, <laughs> that's a, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty, I mean, you always kind of think of its relationships, like who has, you know, first right of refusal and things like that. And I've always felt, found that it can be kind of dangerous playing that, that jockey game of like, 
who jumped for this and did they really jump or was it like a business right. decision, it, you know think- it, it's a dangerous game i mean because for example like a perfect example is i had a philly last week she won first time out at fairgrounds and james graham had been working here and but he had a call with joe sharp but we knew the race was going to overfill and split so i said well he's got a call with joe but I want to ride James too. So hopefully it splits. Joe gets in one half and I get in the other half and he can ride mine. Um, so he didn't, it didn't split that way. So we ended up, I was like, okay, who's best available? Lannery was open. Lannery ends up on the horse. Lannery's ridden for me before. He rode for my dad. Good relationship there. But I'd never been on the horse. And it had James riding the other horse didn't necessarily mean he liked it more. It just meant that was where the call was. And unless it's like, a very specific situation. A lot of times the agents, if the, once they give a call, they just, you know, I, I, I want most of the agents I work with. Once they give a call, they stick to their call. Um, and if, if it, the breaks the right way, great. Sometimes it breaks the wrong way and you just have to work, work with it. So let's, let's talk about a, you know, an element of that, you know, horse players can actually see in the form because it's sometimes it's there in a big black box, that L, or, you know, the addition of blinkers, that G in a circle, you know, being gilded, those, those equipment changes, those medication changes. Um, I feel like everyone's got a really base understanding. You know, most horse players have a very base understanding of what these equipment changes are, you know, technically supposed to do. Um, but it's also kind of baffling sometimes as to why a trainer maybe didn't apply something here, did apply it there. So let's go ahead. Let's talk about Lasix. So basically all horses who are eligible to run on Lasix do so. What makes someone voluntarily add or remove Lasix without something being obvious, like a like a bleed incident? Um, I mean, I think so. Most all horses bleed to some extent, um, so Lasix it, it takes that away, uh, it takes sure. that out of the equation. So if you if you know if you have a horse that's gonna maybe they never have bled, but there's like a trickle of blood or whatever, anything that can hinder their performance, why not give them something that's legal that right. can stop it? Right. Um, you know, and you're just on the same playing field. So then the reason there's not too many reasons to take it away. Um, like if a horse thumps, which is um, where their breathing gets out of rhythm and it can be caused by dehydration, you might pull it off, pull them off of it. It's but almost it's like a horse like, hiccup, right? Yeah. But it's more like, but that's like a last, ditch effort because there's other things you can do to help that um where like you really wouldn't want to take the lasix away but um i i don't think i've ever taken a horse off like i actually claimed a horse yesterday that hasn't run on lasix in its past like six starts so now i've got to kind of look at that and figure out what the got to put that puzzle together and see you know what um what their reasoning may have been but um, nope. but really i mean i think you know once they're eligible to run on it you know, you run on it because I'm not, it's not, it's not enhancing their performance. It's just letting them perform to their fullest ability. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's, uh, I mean, I know you're familiar with short leaf stables and their Arkansas breads. Like right. it seems like they always start those horses without Lasix. And I'm always looking for whenever they at finally do like apply right. them after a couple races. Cause it seems like that that's when they finally like, you know, come right. alive. And I've never understood why they start some already on it and why they give a couple like two or three races or, or anything. Right. Which, well, they know. do, they do have uh, the bonus and 
Arkansas for if you don't Med if you free. win without Lasix, it's a, it's another bonus. So I mean, it could just be like, well, if they don't need it and they can win without it, maybe we just you know try to get the extra money. By the way, if you want to make a million dollars with me, let's breed the ultimate Arkansas bread and just clean up and and Oakland Arkansas bread races because those purses are ridiculous. Yes, they are. So blinkers, I I'm a sucker for blinkers. Uh, especially maiden races. I love seeing things like equipment changes, med changes and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, maiden races, but I also like seeing maybe like a, a horse that like definitely needs the lead, uh, that maybe breaks slow, doesn't make the lead, packs it up, loses by 30 when they add blinkers the next time, because my core belief is that, you know, blinkers are really there to focus. Yes. But they tend to add a little bit of, you know, a couple extra links of, of gate speed. I mean, how far off am I there? So I'm gonna. Uh, it's it's a. It's really a case by case scenario. Um, I I'll put blinkers on a horse if they're just not performing and say maybe this will sharpen them up a little bit, get them more involved. That said, if I have horses that I think need the lead and they've always run in blinkers, but they're like not being quick enough to get there, I'll take the blinkers off. Um, and I think they leave there sharper. They it it's like. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again, and you're not getting the result you want. You have to change something, right? So it's like I give them a different world of view, is what I say. You know, let them see what's happening around them. Then they break, and then it's kind of it's a reverse of what you would think. You would think, oh, blinkers on, they'll be sharper. Like, why would you take them off? They're not going to break as sharp. Well, the actuality is they want to get away from those horses if they need the lead. So they're going to see them. They're going to break. Um, I've also had horses that. I've had blinkers on and they like young horses. So they, you know, they're used to leaving when the horse next to them leaves, but if they can't see that horse leave, then they actually break slow because they'll stand like a half a step slow because they, then once they see that horse in front of them outside the blinker, then they go. Um, so, I mean, it can, you know, it, blinkers help. I mean, they're a useful tool. Um, you, you have to play with them sometimes and there's different, cups you put on them and like if i have horses that act like they want to hang a little bit i'll put a blinker on them um if i have horses like shies from things i'll put like a like a smaller cup on them uh so there's a lot that goes into it's not just there's one i put a blinkers on this horse or take them off it's like you know which blinker and you know what's the goal and so on and so forth you know i have a friend xfl jim who i do another podcast with who uh who's gonna who's trying to get in shape to uh you know, go to the XFL draft combine. And so I decided I was going to train him like a horse. And uh, I decided to add blinkers. Uh, but all I did was pull a sweat down, sweat band down over his eyes. And that did not end well. Uh, did, for didn't help. I think he's didn't got help. scars from it. Yeah, probably. I would say so. But you I mean, what you said also kind of verifies something that I think personally, which is especially looking at maidens where you're really just trying to get this horse into the into the winter circle. Finally, I like it when I see trainers who are doing something different. They're throwing different changes. Like if I ever see that section of the racing forum, I see the gilded adding Lasix and adding blinkers for the first time, like throwing the kitchen sink of changes at it. I'm like, okay, they're, they're invested. They want, they're, right. they're paying attention. They want this horse to win. So that you know, a little bit of verif verification for me there. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to change things to get some different results. So let's talk about the ultimate equipment change. Other than, you know, some sort of injury, what's the last draw before you take a horse's balls, before you geld it? There's just 
like when they just aren't performing well. I mean, if they if they aren't performing at all, I'll take them away. Like I'll do it almost immediately, you know. Unless like they were super expensive and you kind of got to play that game a little bit and say, okay, let's give them a little time. But a lot of times you can, you know, yell them and, and just, they focus, you know, because when they're not gelded, they just don't generally focus as much. Um, but also like it can help lighten the horse because they'll, you know, just their frame, they'll get lighter. Hmm. And, you know, if they're having some physical issues, you can kind of take some weight off of them that way. Right. Outside because of the I guess there's like a hormone from change that goes with it. Yeah, right? for sure. You know, the testosterone stops, you know, so it really changes their whole mindset. And uh, they're just a lot easier to handle. I mean, we've gelded like five horses at fairgrounds this winter already. Because, um, I mean, really, once, you know, you don't want to, you know, once they've, they're two, if they haven't really shown anything, then there's really no reason to keep them as a colt because they're probably not going to get to that next level or get to any level if you don't change something. Um, and then claiming horses, there's, I don't think there's a reason any of them should still be a colt. Right. Because um, you're not breeding that horse. Um, you know, make their life easier and then make their life after racing easier and get them, uh, you know, set up for, you know, being whatever they are after they uh, were, you know, they're done racing. Since, you know, and you get to see them every day. For me, the only way I try to see if like them being gilded works by looking at like workout times, like are they, do they have erratic workout times going into it? And now they have these like, you know, steady, you know, consistent works at works after it and everything. And, also, I got to think that, like, you know, it's a cheap weight break without, you know, getting an apprentice jock, probably about a pound and a half or so. I don't yeah. know how much a horse testicle weighs. Um, I probably know the answer to this, of, you know, already. But have you ever kept the horse's testicles in a glass jar and just, like, stared at the horse and tapped the jar, you know, just no, to let them know? You actually, you actually throw them on the roof of the barn for good luck. So they, No shit. So they, that's old time thing. So they, you, you throw them on the roof for good luck. I feel... I I feel like that's too weird to too weird to be a lie, but oh man, that's crazy! I did not know that. Um, It's definitely a thing, man. Yeah, I'm gonna need a second to just ponder that. That's crazy. Um, That's fair, man. That's all right. So here's the part that's not in the racing form, and it's something that I mean, it's. It's pretty much it's between you. It's between the connections. It's between the jockey. It's it's tactics. You know, you you pick your spot, put a horse in the field. Uh, it's drawn. You get to see the field for the first time. Do you handicap the race usually right after it's drawn to kind of get an idea of how you think it's going to run? Um, kind of as the week progresses. I mean, we enter so far out anymore. Um, I'll sit down because I'm always like I'm looking at claims and things. So like I always look at my races, kind of get a just kind of a general feel for it and then as we get closer i'll kind of look at it a little more and see you know i think we you know what the chances are of success and start to map out a plan so you look at a race you see that maybe a horse that has a certain tactic like it's a horse that wants to go to the front but it's in a race that's just full of of early pace like how much altering you know are you know are you trying to do with the tactic like are you are you trying to get the, you know, tell them to get the horse to rate and relax, or do you just, you know, tell them to just let the horse do what it does best? I mean, it really depends. I think most of the time I just stick to their, what they're good at and, you know, hope it works. Cause not, I mean, if it's a horse that needs the lead and there's a lot of speed, then you just have to hope that you're 
you break well and and it works out um rarely does it work out when you need the lead in a full field of five speed horses um but you kind of you can't you know you can't really go changing it right away i think a lot of the change in tactics that you see are when horses break bad and they just have to you know call an audible three jumps out of there um but you know i i think most of the time it's good to just let your rider make a call you know as call it as the race goes call it in the ring um for if you want a wrestling adage um but then i will say like there are times where like at churchill early in the week early in the card where speed is very good you've told me about this um, yeah sometimes i've you know i've taken like if you have young horses that you know you'd like you know it's not they, they don't have a running style and it might be a it's generally a cheaper race so, you know yeah send this horse to lead and just get around there and you and it, it works feels like nine times out of ten so it's kind of one of those things you just kind of tackle it that way and uh you know but most of the time i just kind of let them do what they do so when when you're talking you know giving your jockeys instructions for for you know what you what you want them to do during the race is it a little bit of like a give and take like how much input do the to the jockeys have because i mean some of them are riding them in the mornings it's not necessarily an exercise right. rider who's up um are, are they giving you feedback as to what you know might work and what might not or are you you know is is jb the boss you know um it just depends i mean i think sometimes in the past i've given too many like too much input um and i've gotten away from that to where it's like if there's nothing specific they need to know like hey this horse gets out in the turn or hey he's bad in the gate i don't there's not a whole lot that goes into what i say other you know and i've gotten to a point now where i've worked with these jocks a lot and it's kind of you get there's you know they know what i'm expecting and i kind of know that they're going to make the right decision um yesterday you know john geraldo rode texas ted <clears throat> he's been on him every every breeze um in the morning since he got to oakland and i said hey we know he doesn't break sharp i said don't try to I just let him break how he breaks you know sit wherever he sits and but don't let him lose touch with the field and just make one run from there and he said yeah okay and he ran on ran a good fourth and we'll build off of that <clears throat> um you know i had a horse that calipari that one i told elvin that day i said look i um, don't just break and sit and get him to the outside because he hates being inside of horses so he breaks sits 10 links back loops you know comes up the rail loops outside runs him down on the middle track you know you kind of let them picture with the instructions that you get and uh, hopefully it all pans out so i feel, i'm sure this isn't 100 always the case but it seems like every time i hear a jockey talk to like a a member of the media which i'm not a member of the media i'm i'm outside i'm a wild card um are you ever honest with the media with what tactics you're going to take? Because I swear every time someone tells me they're, you know, someone says to to White Randy Moss on NBC that that they're going for the lead, that horse sits back and rates, you know. Well, I've I've never had the privilege of being interviewed prior to a race about my tactics because I've not been in those races. Um, hey, but matter of time, man, you already got but one. I know, right? But I know what you mean. Like you hear it and. I, I, it's just so hard because so much changes when the gates open. 
you know, they break a little slow, they get bumped, you know, a late scratch. I mean, there's just a lot of things that change what can happen. Right. So it's hard to hold anyone against that. Um, any hold that against anyone and kind of, uh, you know, but I mean, things just change. You just kind of have to adapt. It could be that white Randy Moss is just really easy to lie to also. Maybe. Maybe. I'd lie to him just straight up, right to his face. Um, I know he's not the Randy Moss. So why do I got to tell him the truth? Um, exactly. So my, my buddy, uh, Mark, he, he kind of gave me the idea for this next question. Um, I mean, you have jurisdictions where you have like, you know, coupled entries, uh, in Europe, you'll see like dual entries from, you know, multiple ownerships, but it's not like they're coupled or anything. You can really kind of tell that there's a little bit of like, you know, gamesmanship there with how they want the race run to maybe set it up for another. Also, you know, at Naira, when you have four Chad Browns in a seven horse race, that, that sort of thing. And, uh, what, you know, why don't you think we see more kind of dual entries or coupled entries, uh, you know, here in the United States, uh, kind of to, to take advantage of that, you know, having a, a team working out there. I think a lot not, of not it, counting Diodoro in it, like when you had Eminem horses, because those fuckers were couple right. all the time. Yeah, I think a lot of it. I mean, you just. Because I think over there, it's more. of It's more of a team game, like the, you know, the yard. And the people that work in that yard and the jockeys, you know, they ride, they are like hired by the owner. Um, this is the way, I, you know, for a lot of those races. And I feel like that. So it becomes like, well, you're riding this horse and you you want to win the race, but I need you to set it up for, you know, this other horse. Whereas over here, uh, you know, if you want to use the Diodoro example, Christian Torres and Orlando Mojica. They're separate entities. They have the same agent, but they're separate entities. Sure. So why is Orlando Mojica going to go do this for, you know, Christian Torres to come win the race? He's just going to ride the race to win. Um, I mean, you see it, I guess, sometimes in those stakes. They say, oh, there's a, like, there was the Chad Brown horse in Italian that was supposed to be the rabbit. And she just kept winning. Got away. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I think uh, you just... I think over here, every you, you just want to win, and I don't think it's there's so many options for connections. They don't have to run two horses in a race to run mm-hmm. one two. Mm-hmm. They can go win two different races. Um, so I think they they try to tackle it that way, like especially in stakes. Like if there's a six horse stake here and a five horse stake here, why should I run two of them in one race when I can go win one with each horse? So I think that becomes, you know, the part of it. And it's just over there, it feels like they have more, like the owners are very, there seems to be fewer owners and they're big, you know, entities where it's here. There's a lot of smaller entities. So you kind of, you have to win. Like I couldn't take, if you owned a horse and then Mark owned a horse and I said, okay, Hey, I know you own your horse, but we're going to use you. So Mark's horse can win. You know, that's not going to fly either. Right. So I think I think a lot of it's that. And, um, you know, I think we, we all just want to win and we kind of let the chips fall where they may out there. 
I remember it was like a couple years ago at like Belmont. It might have actually been in like the Belmont that some either owner, I think it was an owner who said something of like, oh yeah, this horse is just a rabbit. And they, they scratched the horse out of the race. Like after he said that, I remember that story. Yeah. I remember hearing that it was, I don't remember who it was. I don't, I don't, I just, I just, the story like stuck out. It's like kind of that, like understood thing, but don't say, don't say the quiet part out loud sort of. Right. Sort of thing. Yeah. Um. Now let's. I mean, let's talk about workouts here. Um. I'm a big proponent of, of gate workouts, especially before they make their first start. Like part of me looking at first time starters, I will look for like a minimum of like three gate workouts. Like it takes maybe some. You know, say you're hitting at like 17 percent with debut made in special weight. I'll overlook it then. But it's something like if I don't know the trainers, you know, very well, it's something I'll, I'll really right. look into and put a lot of stock into. Am I overvaluing the, those gate workouts going into like a first time starter? I think it depends on other space. Um, I mean, if it's like three in a row, that always probably doesn't break very well. And they're trying to remedy it. The flip side of that is like to me as a trainer, like three gate workouts in a row. You can also start to like fry their brain a little bit to where they just get so anxious in there that like they end up breaking slow anyway. Um, so it's kind of a dangerous game. And that's the hard part about workouts. It's like it's just a number on a piece of paper. So you have to interpret it however you do and know that sometimes you'll be right. Sometimes you'll be wrong because it's hard. It's hard to fall in love with like a pattern because mm-hmm. they – you know, things just change. The weather changes. So you work, you had a slow work when you actually wanted a good work, but the track was bad. So just kind of the way it ended up, that's the way it felt. The, you know, you, the gate, you know, you had company for this horse. So you went ahead and worked him out of the gate and then you needed company. So you worked him out of the gate again and then so on and so forth. I mean, it, it can really be anything. And it, I, I think when I was younger, I put a lot of stock into it because I guess I didn't I didn't feel like because I mean I obviously I grew up on the track, but we didn't really have younger horses. We had a lot of claiming horses, so you didn't really have this like training method of you know training horses to that's where some starters. So you kind of you know I probably put a lot more stock into it than I needed to then. Um, but as far as like you know as as a handicapper, I like to see. I'm like a two gate work kind of guy. And that's kind of how I am as a trainer. Um, two gate works in there within like the past five weeks. And then I'm let them run. And as a handicapper, it's like, I want to see like something quick. If we're going short, it's like quick, early, like they're three eighths. And like some steady halves. And then like a good half out of the gate. And then like another good half out of the gate. And then maybe like a five eighths in there. But um, yeah, as a trainer, I think... I don't want to say it's random, but it becomes a little bit random just because your plans have, you kind of change plans on the fly and um, you just have to kind of work with it. You know, you said some, I've been trying to focus. You said something just a second ago that put me into an existential handicapping crisis here. I have a move that I love with my works, which is I love seeing like a bullet work, maybe two, you know, two works back three works back and then a super slow work right before the start like i i, I like, think i noticed so you like, like so you like the ass me some pattern the the ass man power move is what me and my friends call it yeah, yeah, um, yeah that's uh, the ass music like so my uh my wife she worked for steve um 
she got out for him for a while. And uh, like our, like we have it, like when I want a horse to go an easy three eighths, I'm like, just give me an Asmussen three eighths or like an Asmussen half. Um, you know, where they just cruise around there and then you let them gallop out strong. And that's, but yeah, I mean, I understand where you're coming from with that. Like that's a good, you know, a good quick work and then come back easy cruising into the race. Like that's, that's a pretty I, solid I, pattern. I hate seeing the bullets right before going into a race, especially among like claiming rings with the stakes horse. I mean, that's you'll, you'll just get bullets, but like with the claiming race, it almost feels like it's like a marketing move to like, please get this horse, you know, please get this horse right. claimed out of my barns. People are seeing the quick workouts and they want to put, put in at the claim box. Uh, right. And so I feel, feel like I've been fooled by thinking, well, this, this horse is just primed up, ready to run. And, and maybe it was right. just kind of a, you know, blow out to blow it out sort of thing. Right. So th- this has become really trendy, it seems, with uh, how people are handicapping workouts is how much attention people are paying to uh, the actual like workout partner uh, that the that the horses are, are paired with. Now, you'll see that a horse is running with uh, was working out with this graded stakes winner, or this multiple winner, things like that. Um I mean, whenever you pair them up, is it always meant to be mutually beneficial to both horses or sometimes does it work to the detriment of another horse? I think it's six one way and half a dozen the other. Um, right. I mean, sometimes like if you have a horse that maybe they're a cheaper horse, but they're a really good workhorse, um, you'll work them with, you know, your faster horses. And just because you're, you make, your mate needs it, um, and I think the one thing that people kind of lose track of when they watch these videos on XBTV and then talk about the workmate is that, yeah, they worked 48 flat together, but the the nice horse galloped out eight lengths in the front. You know, that other horse, it was everything they could do to stay with them to the wire. And then, like, yeah, they did it easy to the wire, but that's only half a mile. So mm-hmm. what about, you know, the other you know, quarter mile, they had nothing left. They were gassed. And I think that's one thing that people overlook like, Oh, this horse worked heads up with that horse. Okay. Well, heads up. That's great. But he didn't beat him. And he also, you know, didn't have anything left for him on the gallop out. And, um, you know, just the other day I had a horse that worked yesterday, um, worked great. And his mate worked great with him to the wire. And then on the gallop out, I mean, my other horse was, 15 links ahead and it's like okay there's the clash you know clash shows on the gallop out the workout it's like it's like watching pletcher's horses work they go go 50 and then they go out in 23 you know they they pick it up on the gallop out and uh i think a lot of people you know they they tune into the you know they're all everyone's looking for like the wise guy and i mean that's fine you might get you find a horse and if he's six to one it's worth it's worth the play but if he's six to five what do you gain? So. Right. And I guess you, you probably kind of rotate in like who they're partnered with based on what you want the, the horse to actually work on. Right. Like I'm thinking of like uh, my favorite horse of all time is Whitmore. I've seen that horse win so many times. At Oakland love, loved Whitmore, but I know Whitmore is not going to move up the rail. Like, you know what I mean? So right. maybe they thought there was a chance that Whitmore could get up the rail instead of having to like get out wide. So they picked a horse that they knew would just pin him to the rail for the entire work. If that, that's what they wanted to try to work on. Like, I mean, you kind of mentioned trying so many different th- things or doing something so many times you might just kind of fry a horse's brain. Is there like a consistency with workout partners? Um, I think it just depends. I mean, 
like when I have it's it's hard because like you if you have in a bar in my size you know thirty um you have you might have three horses that are in the same spot where they have you know they're ready to go a half out of the gate or so you kind of they stay in their little groups and then maybe one gets injured so you kind of have to rotate rotate a different horse in there but more often than not like when you're bringing horses up from a young age they're all going to be in different spots so you kind of end up with like two or three and end up working together just because you know they're ready to go three eighths okay now they're ready to go a half now okay they're ready to go five eighths so they end up they kind of grow up together um older horses it really becomes i mean because you're running them at different times so a horse might you know these two horses might have worked together two weeks in a row and then well one's running so well he needs a mate so and then i mean there's nothing wrong with working a horse by themselves i think you know a lot of people I mean, Spooky Channel, I don't think I've ever worked him in company. I mean, he's eight years old. He doesn't need to work in company. He knows right. how to be a racehorse. Right. Uh, once they figure it out, and it's like once you're kind of in the maintenance mode, there's nothing wrong with the horse going in 50 by himself. And, you know, I don't, people kind of, I think a lot of people over train anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think people overanalyze the works. You know, I owners over analyze works like why do you work so slow it's like well i didn't i didn't get paid for him to work fast today so why right he, you know the money's in the afternoon um they play know, real sports they're work. not trying to be the best at working out right right i mean you know take the Allen iverson we're talking about practice so not know, a game not a game right. yeah. so i mean you just kind of have to you know it's all individualized um in our barn i think in a lot of barns it's the same, like barns my size isn't the same the bigger the barn i think the more it gets to be factory based but they have to just because time and you know, there's only so much you can do um and that's not no knock on them you know they're doing a good job they just have to do what they have to do so me as a, a horse player who's never trained a horse i feel like this is a really good opportunity to ask you a question who are you i mean i want to give jason's credit jason's an excellent handicapper himself and he's a great trainer too but me, as someone who's just a horse player, trying to get into your head as to why you spotted a horse up here, why you know why you did this, why you did that. What do you think the most, some of the most common misconceptions that horse players have about you know trainers and their intent might be? Front wraps don't mean anything. <laughs> All right, noted. That's, Writing that one down. Like, that's such a. I, they don't mean anything anymore. Um, that's an old very old school thing it was and it i think it came from the fact that they tried to do it so cheap back in the days that they would only put front wraps on if there was mm. a problem because they could mm. save two dollars um so yeah front wraps I, I see it all the time oh for, and i run a lot of horses in front wraps maybe they hit one day and i just want to protect them from you know protect their leg it's not or like and i most people never run wraps on turf if it's a yielding turf, I always run wraps. It has mm. nothing to do with the horse or what I think they're going to do or anything. Um, so that that's like one that always like, I always laugh when I say, oh, yeah, front wraps. Okay, great. Awesome. Did they I would well done? St- stress putting really cool looking front wraps <laughs> on them because, you know, the whole Deion Sanders, you look good, you feel good, you play good sort of thing. Right. You know? There you go. So if I see front someone with some run a mill front wraps, I'm done with them. Yeah, like some, exactly. Some, 
some front wraps um, and some drip. Yeah, that's one. I think. Jeez, um, the uh, I don't even know. I think a lot of like, like when people run two horses in a race, when they do actually run two in a race. And the longer one wins, the whole like, oh, they knew, they knew that horse, they knew that was the better one. Right. It's, we don't know. If we knew we wouldn't train horses, we would just bet on them. We would bet on our own and, and not do it. It would be easy. And it's not. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not. And, and there's so much that can go wrong out there. Like, we have no idea. Like, when the inquiries, I mean, there's so many things that, like, I see on Twitter where I'm like, I, 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 Part of me wants to comment, like the handicapper in me wants to comment, but like the trainer in me is like, it's, I can't, I can't, I Just, can't dive yeah. into that. It's not worth it. It doesn't go anywhere. Um, I, I so. mean, I've got my conspiracy theory that I believe with it. I completely get what you say. Like I have this yeah. whole thing. Like I think the Ortiz brothers should always be coupled. And like every time like Jose's on the longer price wins, I'm like, you see, right. you see, right. I, I, there's, I have absolutely no proof. It's probably not right. even true, but it makes me feel and the thing, And the thing, I get it. And the thing there is like the thing that, and I've actually, I have been into that rabbit hole before on Twitter with people. And if they only knew how many people were actually related, it's not like, you know, just this business where no one knows anybody. I mean, like I'm fourth generation. Brett Calhoun's assistant at Oakland is my mom's cousin. Kenny right. Peak's assistant at uh, Fairgrounds is my mom's cousin. Um, right. You know, everyone's, re- you know, there's people related everywhere. So if you started, if you started that, then you really just, you're going to have a field of two entries because five of them are going to be coupled for this and five of them will be coupled for that. Right. Um, you know, you just can't. You can't go down that rabbit hole. Um, it, it really, I, you know, no one's, there's too many unknown factors into the, oh, well, he's working with him to get this to happen. Okay, well, what about the other eight horses that still got beat? Like, where were they? Yeah. You know, they didn't, they didn't, what, well, they just said, oh, okay, yeah, Jose's going to win this race because Irad wants him to. Like, no, that's. None of that. That doesn't go on. It just it can't. There's no way. Right. Too many factors and and I I get it as a player. You want to like you have that that you're out instead of just being wrong. Yeah. Um, Sometimes we know, just have to admit we sucked and got it wrong. Yeah. You know? Like you, I mean, look at trainers. I mean, if you're twenty percent, you're in the hall of fame. So as a horse player, like you're gonna be wrong a lot. Um. That's just you have to capitalize when you're right. I used to run in a circle with the guy who every time his pick lost, like it was always the jockey's fault and he did this wrong and did that wrong. It's like, dude, eventually you just have to, you realize that this might not be the game for for you. Right. Yeah. I mean, if the jockey doesn't have the horse, they're not going to win. Like no matter what they do, they can't pick him up and carry him. Right. And uh, the jockey takes so much flack. And I mean, I even said, so Elvin last year, he didn't have the best Oak on me. And uh, he started really well, though, I will say. Yeah. And someone said, uh, someone said, yeah, he didn't have very good meat. I said, I didn't have very good meat. And he rode like all 70 of mine. I said, so maybe Jason didn't have a good meat. Right. And it caused Elvin to have a bad meat. It wasn't anything he was doing. He just didn't have the horse under him. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's a it's a partnership thing. You know, if I'm in the wrong race or I don't have the horse, then how is he supposed to win? I think – you're kind of pulling together kind of just a something that I kind of wanted to touch on, which is 
there's so many different things that happen in races. There's so many different relationships there. You know, it's, it's a team thing, but then you also have to consider the fact that I feel as handicappers, we lose sight of the fact that these aren't machines that are programmed to run a certain way. They have personalities. They have different quirks about them. They're pack animals. You know, there, there's all those sorts of sorts of things. And it, it's something that, I, I, you know, you really lose sight of, but, you know, talking to you and talking about, you have to pay attention to each. It's, it's something that I hope to drive home with the, you know, the, the folks that, uh, that, that listen. Also, you mentioned the, they knew thing. I talked to Jess Paquette a couple weeks ago. I was like, so now that you're like the track announcer at parks, like, are you, they, she's like, Oh yeah, right. I'm they now. Um, and, and that's the thing. Like, even the, they knew, like, I mean, I can't say how many times I've run horses where everyone was like, I'm high on it. And, you know, the horse is working good. He gets bet in half and he still runs fifth. And it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. We all, we all knew, we knew mm-hmm. what we thought we knew and he still mm-hmm. ran terrible. So, yeah. You know, I mean, it is, it happens. We don't actually know. We hope. We hope. We hope. So we've all seen the HBO series luck. Everyone's got this fantasy. We hit the pick six. We've got all sorts of throwing around money. We want to get into the ownership game. What should every horse player know before they actually jump into being an owner? However much money you want to spend, spend two thirds of it on the horse. Because if you just say you have thirty thousand to spend, spend twenty thousand on the horse. Leave the other ten for expenses. Um, and that's if you're claiming. If you're because you're gonna run your bills for the first two and a half. You're covered for two and a half months if the horse makes no money. Right. If you're claiming a horse, that horse is gonna, that horse is gonna make money as, um, you know, that horse goes ideally, or you're gonna put it in a race where you're gonna drop it and get claimed. Right. So, you know, leave yourself. Don't spend your whole nut on the horse, and then mm-hmm. when you get your first bill, be surprised that you have to pay more money. So th- this was an unscheduled question, but you you kind of mentioned, uh, you know dropping and then getting claimed whenever you know mike sisk was was running his horses with, with diodoro it seemed like they were always doing you know the the stop drop and pop sort of sort of move like i guess there has to be like a, a financial sweet spot right where you drop them to this to the right amount they get claimed you get that money there and then you put the purse money there and then y- you end up just you know you, you get your slim profit margin out of that and that's how right. you're able to s- sustain it that seems that seems like the logical thing to me i I, I always I tell my friends a lot of the time, like people are like, oh, there's dumping this horse this race just because they're, they're, you know, trying to get the horse out of their barn doesn't mean it's not the best horse in the race, you know? Right. Yeah. All right. So my friends are jerks. I asked them for for good questions to ask, but they came up with one that blew my mind and it was a joke. I can't wait to get your reaction with this because I've been terrified ever since I heard it. Would you rather fight 100 squirrel sized horses or one horse sized squirrel? I guess squirrel-sized horses because they're a pack animal and they're fight or flight, so they'd probably run away. I think a a you know horse-sized squirrel would end up like ruling it eventually. That's be like an apex predator at some point. That yeah, it's like a Godzilla kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, but like fuzzy and cute, but uh, you yeah, know, terrifying think, and cute. Yeah, yeah, terrifying and cute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, have you ever had a horse in your barn that you just like? You you hated you just, your personalities you get along. You're just like, man, I hate this horse. I can't wait till you get claimed. I can't stand you. Hate 
hate's a strong word. Um, it's more like there's like this like <laughs> like I don't want to say I'm I'm not mad. I'm disappointed, kind of thing. There's just been the ones that are so disappointing, and then you just you grow to hate that they didn't live up to expectations. Right. But you know, as far as hate, I mean, as the individuals, no. Um, they aggravate you to no end. Yes, but hate, no, hate's a strong word, but definitely, uh, you know, you, you, the disappointment factor is um, is high, and that's with a lot of them. That's not just one. I can't, mm-hmm. I couldn't pinpoint one. Um, I have I one. His a, name is Combatant. I, I, the horse. The horse that I I loathe the most is uh who's the horse to beat the American Pharaoh and the oh uh, Keen Ice yeah Keen Ice didn't he run third in the Breeders Cup I think so yeah, yeah behind um, he ran third behind California Chrome and uh, uh da, 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 da. the other um, horse who was the other horse not Dorian um, um... John Blank. I can look it up. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll anyway, yeah. anyway, I was playing BCBC and uh, needed uh, the Baffert for third. And it uh, looked like on the chicklets the whole time he was just going to go by and he never went by. And uh, we had like a we had like a $5,000 try cold if he went by and um, it stung. I so that uh, would be the one as a horse player that I, I can't stand. When I have a horse that like I seem like I can't say – I can't say no to every time it's running. I end up putting money in and it disappoints me. Eventually what I do is I write it like a significant other style breakup letter. Like, listen, like this, this isn't working for either one of us. You know, I think it's time that we move on. We see other, I see other horses. You see other gamblers. It makes me feel better. I'm going to give, I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to give you a little advice here. Hmm? We have what we call a dirty 20. So like if there's a horse that, like, say the agent got taken off, his job got taken off. You bet a dirty 20. Because if it wins, you still get paid. But you you, you don't, you're just riding that $20 off. You, like, want that horse to lose. Mm-hmm. But at least if it wins, you get paid. And that, you know, we, you do it from time to time. It makes you feel good. Dirty okay. 20s. There you go. There you go, folks. That's why you tune in and listen to this man. Tell us what's what. Man, Jason, this has been, uh, this has been great. This is uh you can tell how serious i take myself this has been the most informative episode of the show yet which is ironic because it's episode 69 weirdly um <laughs> should have had coots on nice uh, yeah you're right um man thank you know thank you so much for joining i know you've got uh do you, you've got a couple running today don't you uh no runners i'm claiming in the first so i'm gonna get done here and head back to the track oh, good luck i hope you so, comes down to shake the that you win your shake and uh man thank you so much for you know just taking time because i mean this is a busy season for you uh because you're a horse trainer a bona fide horse trainer uh people kind of person i never thought would talk to me quite honestly (laughs) uh man thank you so much uh yeah absolutely you got any got any parting words anything you want to throw out uh you know just like a l's up or anything no, there's no L's up anymore. I mean, I, I appreciate them for what it's they were, rough. but yeah. it, it, it's been rough. It's yeah. Been Let's just hope the Dolphins win this week with Skyler and make the playoffs. Uh, my buddy XFL Jim, he is a he's a fellow two and honor Dolf, Dolphins guy. It's, so he's it, it's struggle right now. I'm f- fingers crossed for, yeah, let's for get, you guys. Let's get it home. Let's get it. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, that's going to do it for us here at the Notorious OTB. We will catch you next time with more Notorious OTB, brought to you by the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. 